Okay. All right. Well, let's dive in this morning. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about um, about the resurrection and, and, and the resurrection. I don't think I'm not, I think, you know, this is pretty important. Right. In the life of the church, that our faith is literally grounded on and dependent upon Jesus actually raising from the dead, because if he wasn't raised from the dead, then he would be a liar. And the things that he said would not be true. This is real clear. Let's hear this. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then you wouldn't have to believe anything that he said, because he would have been a liar. But he was raised from the dead, therefore we had to give credibility to everything that he said. If that being the case, in the resurrection, man, it's a priority, not just for church, but the priority that every single person in the history of the world should wrestle with. Because the resurrection is that important to humanity. It's obviously that important to our faith. And so we talked about resurrection. And then last week, Mark came in and did this like message on the, on the res, our, res, second res, our, our resurrection, right? The glorified body that someday that we'll have. And so it's like, so this life we're living is like a first fruits. And basically what he was getting at, like, listen, we have to be aware if Jesus lived in this expression of a glorified body, then that will come for us sometimes. So that should give us hope for today. That there is a moment, there's a time that's coming. And so we live today as if tomorrow is coming. And so it just impacts and affects the way that we live because there's incredible hope that, I mean, one day, guys, how exciting is this? You get to go through walls too, like a ghost, right? It's fantastic. That's what Jesus did. That's what I'm living for. You know what I'm getting at, right? This glorified body, the things that Jesus can do, it's powerful, it's amazing. And that's what we're living for, that this day is coming in this fullness of time of what God has for us. And so the resurrection is important. And us living in the understanding of our resurrection in time is important. Resurrection. So this morning then, so we start with resurrection. So resurrection then has a logical next step. Because Jesus was, like, here's the story. Jesus was, was resurrected and then the movie wasn't over. Right? It's like, it was like, ah. And then the movie's over and it's all done. No, Jesus was resurrected and then there was more. There was more. And so this morning and then upcoming weeks, we're going to be talking about the more. And we're specifically focusing on it in the context of, of the book of Acts. Because the idea is this, when we look at upcoming weeks, we're going to be, listen, hear this. We're going to be diving into the hopes of Jesus. Like the hope slash hopes of Jesus for his followers post-resurrection. Like Jesus was resurrected and there were hopes or dreams or desires, or you could even call them expectations that defined his view of his disciples' lives, which then throughout time then expectations and hopes and dreams for our lives, and let's just make it personal to you, for your life. Like there are hopes and dreams of God for your life. There are hopes and dreams of what of your life, and then your life and my life, therefore our life 
together. And so this morning we're going to begin, like, I'm just going to kind of lay out, just literally this morning, we're not diving very deep at all. I'm going to kind of lay out some direction that we're going and things we're going to dive into in the upcoming weeks. But specifically looking at the hopes of Jesus for his followers, a.k.a. you, in the context of your everyday life, that he doesn't ever wake up because he's always awake, but he anticipates your waking up for the hopes and the dreams that he has for you that day. And so this morning we're going to begin diving into that and specifically looking at that in the context of what we see in the book of Acts. So with that, let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're going to go verses 1 through 11. I'm just going to highlight a few of these verses this morning. And what I would call, like, let me, let me just say this real quickly for those of you that are theologians out there. Like, when you go and you read, like, the purpose of Acts, there are lots of purposes for which it was written, right? I mean, one of them would be a, de, a defense of Jesus to the Jews, that he actually was the Messiah, and that all authority and power was given to him, that Christianity was not a new religion, it was just the actual continuation of Judaism. I know that, but we're not going to be diving into that for the upcoming weeks, right? I also know that it was written to talk about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the Jewish faith, right? And what that really means in the book of Acts being that we're not really going to dive into that either, right? What we're going to dive into in the upcoming weeks is specifically what we see, what I would say is a thesis as you read Acts chapter 1, a thesis of, of what the ultimate message is for the church, right, or could be for the church. So lots of messages. This is one of the primary themes, and we're going to dive into it, okay? So let's, let's read through, and then we're going to focus on some of those, or a couple of those things here. So, in my former book, Theophilus, so Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, is now writing the book of Acts. So let me say this real quick. It's Luke 1 and Luke 2, all right? It's Luke 1 and Luke 2. There really is a continuation, one thought process. It was the Acts of Jesus, now it's the Acts of the Apostle. It's the life of Jesus, now it's the life of his followers, okay? So in my former book, Theophilus, what a great name, I wrote about all that, you should name your kids that, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, book of Luke, right? After his suffering, still book of Luke, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him. That sounded really funny how you did that, Larry. It was like really deep and guttural in that. It was like, wasn't it like you were like, amen, right? It was fantastic. I love that, right? All right, so, <laughs> yeah, Spirit of God moving right there. All right, so Lord, we're going to sign restore the kingdom. He said to them, hey, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
Fantastic, right? Now, I'm one of those guys, like I was a history major at Georgia for a year until I realized you really couldn't do much with a history major, so I changed. And so in the context of that, the reason I loved history, the reason I loved history, because whenever I would go someplace that had history, my mind somewhere along the way would go to thinking about this. Man, like this is where this happened. So I go to Kennesaw Mountain, right? I don't ever walk the mountain. Why do that to your body, right? But like if you go to Kennesaw Mountain, like you sit there and think, man, just like a hundred and something years ago, there was there were battles fought here, right? There were real people with real guns, with real division, real tension. And we're out there going, right? But man, there was like real things that happened. And I always think about I kind of get lost in the moment of thinking about history and, and what happened. Like I got a buddy of mine who's going to, to, uh, to Israel, he's in Israel right now, right? We were talking about it over lunch last week. He just said, yeah, I'm going to Israel. Like, and I said, I can't wait to get back. I can't wait for you to get back because I can't wait to hear about how it changes the way that you think about Jesus, think about faith, and read the Bible, right? Because when you stand someplace with the history that Jesus literally walked these streets, right? Like, it kind of changes, because for me, as like this history guy, it's like I'm thinking, man, this happened. And so you think about 2,000-ish years ago, Jesus was walking the earth right now in a glorified body. We're in that 40-day stretch, and I can't, I'm not going to lie, like literally this, this week I was sitting here going, I mean, Jesus, what, this is post-resurrection. Like we're, I don't know, like 15, 14 days into the resurrection now here, right? And he's alive in his like glorified body, hanging out with his guys and his gals, right? Men and women, his disciples and his followers. And, and, and they're all, every time they see him, it's like, ah, this is crazy like he was living he was moving he was breathing he was eating he was talking he was teaching and i'm not gonna like i literally got just sat back this week and went that's crazy that's crazy because you think about the story of the disciples and poor guys and poor girls right poor women it's like think about mary like having to literally watch her son die like have you ever listen we don't hear much about this but have you ever like can you imagine in the moment, Mary having Jesus back, how did that impact her? Like, can we ever put this in the context of, like, what if it was you who was experiencing this? What if it was you seeing Jesus? What if it was you who was walking with? What if it was you who was eating with? Like, you, you keep on doing this. You're, like, eating, looking up at Jesus, going, he looks the same, but it looks really different. Right? Marked on the glorified body. It's like there's something profound. And so for the disciples, you think about it, like all the emotions they went through, Palm Sunday, high hope. Jesus is the Messiah. Like this is the moment to like, uh, like fear because Jesus is being persecuted, right? So all of a sudden, all their hope being lost, like spirits crushed at his death, to now the, the, the exciting confusion of like, what do you mean he's come back to life? So all of a sudden, like the, the unbelievable exuberance and fear and like emotions of like, he's standing in front of me, ah, what do I do? Ah, it's so scary and exciting all at the same time. And so when we think about the resurrection, 
When you think about what's happening, 14 days after the resurrection, Jesus is with them and he's doing this. Is it a story or can you put yourself in history and recognize he's alive then, he's alive today. And all the emotions that they're going through and the craziness and the excitement should also and can also define us. He's alive. That's crazy. He was resurrected. That's crazy. He's still alive. That's crazy. It just happened. He was walking this, he's walking again, the glorified body, for 14 days, guys. And so in this, we have to look at this understanding of, all right, I wonder how impactful Jesus' teaching was to the disciples in that 40-day stretch. Because I don't know about you, but if a dead guy whose funeral I attended all of a sudden showed up in my house in a powerfully unique bodily form and had important things to teach me, I would probably listen. I just probably would. I'd probably give them a level of credibility I'd maybe not even given them before, even though they'd been credible before. I'm like, oh, whoa, yes. So you come back from the dead in the glorified body, I'm probably going to listen. Right? Probably going to listen. So therefore, in the midst of everything that Jesus said, in the context of the, those 40 days, and the things the disciples would have, would have and should have listened to, isn't it interesting that Luke only picks out one primary thing to talk about that Jesus said in that 40 days? Like, would you think that everything was important, and we would all logically say yes, So therefore, don't you think it'd be that much more important to focus on the one thing that Luke pulled out to talk about in the context of his second letter? Like it should. It should all of a sudden cause us to go, huh, it was 40 days of teaching. Let me just say this. You can teach a lot of things in 40 days. A lot of things, especially when you're Jesus. In a glorified body. <laughs> I'm just saying. But he still talked, he said one thing, and then he answered a question for them because they didn't understand what was happening still, and then came back and described the one thing that he said. And so let me just say this, just logically speaking. If there's only one thing that Luke really focused on after Jesus was resurrected in his glorified body, then maybe we should give an intentional and exerted amount of time to process and think about it also, both here but in your personal life. What did he say? On one occasion, verse 4, Acts 1, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The first thing I want us just to look at is that Jesus has a gift for them. Like we all understand how gifts work, right? We have that moment. Especially that person who has that really, really like intentional, thought out, 
gift, right? It's unique. It's a surprise. And what are they? We talked about this before. They're incredibly excited about giving it because they, one, are excited about knowing how the person will respond. But certain gifts, we know the person needs and when they receive it, right? We're excited because this can change everything for them. And so when Jesus, right, when Jesus in this moment was in his glorified body, listen, I have something for you. It's a gift. It's a gift. He's anticipating it. He's expecting it. What I want you to say is this. For Jesus, his birth was not the gift. For Jesus, his death was not the gift. Even his resurrection wasn't the gift that he was waiting to excitedly give them. Instead, each of these things pointed to and prepared the way for the gift. It wasn't a gift that Jesus, like in the three years of ministry or his 33 years on earth, realized that he wanted to give. Like, oh, I thought about this, but I could give you this. No, what we would say is Jesus and his knowledge, Jesus in his foreplanning, before even the earth was created, said there's a moment that's going to come. And I'm going to express my life through coming, through my life, through my death and my resurrection. It's all going to point to this thing that I have for humanity. There's a gift. It's the one thing that Luke is excited about talking about. It's the one thing that he wants to name. The death, the life, the death, the resurrection all point to Jesus saying, all of that leads to a point, which is the gift that I want to give. The gift was the goal. It was the end point. Ultimately, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Those are by far the best, aren't they? The gift, simply stated, we read here, was the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about that in upcoming weeks, right? But let me sum it up here this morning by saying this. I want you to hear this. So Jesus knew he was leaving. He knew he was leaving. Jesus knew his plan was for his disciples to fulfill the mission that he had started on earth. Jesus knew that in their own strength, they couldn't complete the task. They needed help. So Jesus had a surprise. He had a surprise gift. It wasn't a surprise to him. It was a surprise to them. It was the gift. He was going to give them his spirit. He was going to give him, give them his spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus' plan to make sure his disciples had what they needed and that they would never be alone. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And then it goes on in the next verse and says it's the Spirit of God. I will will ask the Father. I'm leaving. I will ask the Father. He will give you another exact replica. Someone just like me to be with you, to help you, and to be with you forever. So, number one, Acts is about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? Acts is about the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'll speak again. We'll speak more about this in the upcoming weeks. but But the question you have to begin to process is what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Like, I never use the phrase Holy Ghost because ghosts scare me. And the Holy Spirit shouldn't, right? 
Have you ever, what's your experience with the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. Jesus? Have you ever truly experienced the Holy Spirit as the greatest gift that you've ever received in your life? Do you think about it that way? The gift that Jesus gave with the plan of changing everything in our lives. What do you think about the Holy Spirit? Is is he the crazy uncle you never talk about? Or is he really Jesus to you, the advocate that he planned to give you as the greatest gift, as the greatest gift that Jesus ever planned that Luke thought was so important, it's the only thing he named after 40 days of being with Jesus in his glorified post-resurrection body. What do you think about the Holy Spirit? What do you do with the Holy Spirit? Do you see the Holy Spirit as the greatest gift that you've ever received in your life that you can literally tangibly say, man, when that moment happened, it changed everything about me. So the second thing, Jesus wants to empower them. So, so this idea of Jesus over here in the gift, right? The second part is Jesus wants to empower them. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. In verse 8, we'll read the whole thing in a second. I have a gift for you. Don't, don't listen. Don't leave till it arrives. Verse 8. For when it comes, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So there's a gift that he has for you. And the gift will empower We have to remember, we're talking about the Spirit. Listen, when we talk about the Spirit, you have to think about the Spirit and what the Spirit has done. Like I think the Holy Spirit is named 46 times, let this alone the book of Acts, over 20, I think 23 or 24 times in the book of Luke. So it's almost 70 times the Holy Spirit is referenced in Luke's writing more than anywhere else in any other book. Jesus wants to empower them. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now in you, we're told in John. The same, excuse me, in Romans. The same spirit that empowered him to do miracles now is us, in us. The same, listen, this is the important one, I think, for us, because we, we know this part. But the same, listen, the same spirit that gave Jesus power to humble himself and serve others selflessly, which is unnatural to us, now resides in you. It's part of the gift. It's what comes. It's the power, empowered to live in humility and service to others. It's the same spirit that empowered Jesus to withstand the power of sin in his life. Jesus was tempted, we're told, in every way as human beings are, but did not sin. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't, listen, his sinlessness was not based on his godhood. His sinlessness was based on his empowerment by the Holy Spirit. We have to process that. To ask the church to fulfill his mission on earth, apart from giving them the ability to do it. Listen, Jesus asking us to fulfill his mission on earth, apart from giving us the ability to do it, at best would be unfair. At worst, it's just cruel. Jesus would never ask us to do something he wouldn't first 
enable and empower us to do. What do we do with the power of Jesus? So, number two, Acts is about the empowering of his people. Acts is about the empowering of his people. We can't forget the words of Jesus when he said, listen, I want you to hear this. Listen, this is, this is the Bible. It's pretty important. John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Like, if you read the context of that, go back and read verses like, let's read 1 through 11. He's talking about the works that he has done that, listen, he's talking about the works that he has done that shows that he is in God and that God is in him. Do you think he's talking about making a chair? He's a carpenter. You think he's, and God is empowered to do his works of making a chair in my job that I do every day. No, he's not talking about that. What are the works that he did that caused people to think that he was in God and that God was in him? Well, the things that I named, the working of miracles, the gift of discernment, the exercise of humility and of death to self that would allow him to be quiet when he's being persecuted, right? To be obedient to the point of death upon a cross. Like this, this type of works. And so when Jesus, he's, either, he's, either he's lying about the things that his spirit's going to empower us to do that look just like the things that he did, not similar, but just like to do the things that Jesus did and even greater. Either he meant that or he didn't. And where do we land with that theology? What do you, how do you, listen, when your children come to you and say, what did this mean, Jesus? What did Jesus mean when he says this? How do you answer it? Do you have one that's biblically accurate or based upon your experience? People deny the works of God's Spirit that Jesus did, not because they can biblically argue it away, but because they haven't experienced it and they just can't believe things they haven't experienced. So, is your experience... A good clue for anything in life? Well, what if you had never actually been to the beach? And you said, well, the beach isn't real because I've never experienced it. That doesn't make any sense, does it? No, the beach is real because we can see pictures, right? We've seen it expressed. We know it's real. So what do we do here? Do you believe it's available? Are you experiencing his power today? Again, begin asking God to begin to awaken you to truth. There are whole theological streams that deny the power of the Spirit, and they really can't theologically. They say they're Bible-based, but they're not making any arguments based on Scripture, because there's not any, literally. So, so in the, again, Acts about, the, Acts about the empowering of His people, He wants to. All I'm getting is He wants to empower you. Don't you? Don't we want to step into that, or do we deny it? Do we want the power of God, or do we not? Third, Jesus has a mission for his people to fulfill. Jesus has a mission for his people to fulfill. If you had to highlight one verse that acts as the thesis for the whole book of Acts, it would be verse 8, which we've already kind of referenced. It says this. Jesus, again, defining what he's already said, 
about waiting. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The rest of the book of Acts is the story of God's of God's Holy Spirit-empowered people going and fulfilling his mission. That's the whole book. The whole book is about God's people being empowered, and the stories of people then going and fulfilling the mission in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and then all the way at least for them to the ends of the earth. It's real simple. Like, that's what it's about. It's all sorts of other stuff, but it's ultimately like, the point is, Jesus is, Jesus is there. He is a gift. He wants to empower people. He sends the Spirit. He empowers them. And then they do the acts, what we call the acts of the apostles. They do ministry. They fulfill his mission. It's the thesis of the entire book, right? Think about the people. Think about the stories. The, the mission of God's people. See, the book of Acts is ultimately about who? Jesus. Excuse me. The, book, the Gospels are all about ultimately about Jesus. Luke is about the story of Jesus. Acts is about the story of many people. The empowering of the church. Think about the people that you read about in the book of Acts doing the things of, of Jesus. You think about Paul. Think about, excuse me, start, start with Peter. And you think about John. You think about Stephen. What's happening with my microphone? Hear me that? We'll just, I'll just keep on going. I'm almost done. Think about, you think about Philip. You keep on going and think about Barnabas and John Mark. Think about all these people who are doing these amazing things for God. It's not just about one person. It's about many people. The mission of God, the people of God doing the works of God. Acts is about the mission of God's people. He sent his spirit. The spirit empowers us to be like Jesus. And then we are to go to the world. All of this comes back to the gift, right? And so in this... We have to even recognize, how did Matthew end his gospel? Well, Jesus is there. Jesus is doing his thing. And what does he say? Go make disciples of all nations. He sends them on mission. He doesn't realistically name here that, the idea of what they needed to be empowered. So Luke comes along and says, listen, man, it's just like, just like Matthew said. Go make disciples of all nations. But you can't do it. You can't make disciples of all nations. You, you, little you, can't do it. Luke's letting us know, you can't do it. You can't fulfill the mission. It's unrealistic. Do you know how long the Jews tried in their own strength to live sinless and fulfill God's mission and how badly they failed? That's why Jesus had to come, had to show us a model of what a spirit-empowered life can look like, and then he has the gift. So his life, his death, and his resurrection point to the gift. It's the key. We need the gift. It's the key to ministry. You can't do ministry. You can't do life up. Apart from receiving the gift, living in the gift, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, and by the gift, and doing the things that he has for you to do by his spirit and by his power. So, God has a mission for you. Go make disciples. So Jesus empowered us to do, and he says, all right, now that I've given you my spirit, I'm not sending one person, I'm sending all of you on my mission. All of you, together, 
in community, in relationship together, the people of God, all gathering, right? They gathered after Jesus. Listen, they gathered together after 40 days. I mean, we're going to look at the story, but they gathered together, the church together, empowered together, the church doing life together. We're Acts 2.42. If anybody should be modeling it for the rest of our community, it's us. We've like, we've dared to name ourselves after it. And we can't do our namesake apart from the Holy Spirit empowering us. It's the gift. And my simple question is, have you opened it? Have you opened it? Are you opening it every day? Because every day I wake up and the Holy Spirit is present again for me to relate to as if it's a fresh gift, new for me that day to open to the excitement of his presence, his power, his advocacy, his nearness, his fellowship, his relationship, his encouragement, his cheering for me, his telling me that I'm awesome, and then telling me some great jokes along the way. Do we know him? After all of this, it just comes back to the gift. That's what Jesus was pointing to. comes back to the gift. A gift is to be received. A gift is to be opened. And a gift is given to make our life better. And to be honest with you, to make it more enjoyable in the context of difficulty and in the midst of celebration. Let's pray. So, Father, we've set the table for you to do the thing only that you can do. We don't pretend to be able to, to make the Spirit move. We don't pretend to think that we can understand the moving of the Spirit. We don't pretend to think that we can make power happen in our own strength. Don't pretend, Lord, to sit here and say we understand everything about what you intended for the Spirit of God to do. We don't pretend. But we do know, God, that there is a gift that you planned to give us. It's a gift of yourself and the person of the Holy Spirit who is not scary, who's not the weird uncle. Who is Jesus to us? To look like Jesus. And so, Father, this morning, I'm asking a couple of things. Jesus, we come into this time of ministry. I I pray, one, that you would just open up our ears to hear you so that you can be honest with us about where we are and what you think. I pray this morning for those, God, who have been burned by the Holy, by the, by the expressions of, the human, the human expression of the gifts of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit, Lord, and been burned by people doing it in their flesh in the name of the Holy Spirit. We ask today for healing in that. God, I ask, I pray today for those who've just been given really bad theology on the Holy Spirit. I pray that people would not hold on to their theology about things that maybe you want to change, like a golden calf, Lord. Just holding on to it, not letting it go, but they would say, Jesus, I'm willing to let you teach me whatever you want to teach me. 
I pray, Father, that you would make us sensitive to where people are, knowing, God, that they may have believed you for things that haven't happened. They believed for your power and didn't happen, Lord, and it's wrecked them. Make us sensitive, Jesus. But today, Father, we come into this moment, and God, many of us, Lord, I just, even the converse, listen, Lord, you know, I've had conversations this week, and no one's having a great week. No one's having a couple of, like, no one's having a great couple of weeks. Lord, it's it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. Lord, post-resurrection has not been great. But Lord, I believe you're speaking this morning and saying, I've allowed these things to point you to my gift because it's only the Holy Spirit that can empower you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I believe the Lord was saying this morning in our prayer time, never give up. Never give up. And the idea in that is this, because the Holy Spirit is with you. I am with you, even to the ends of the age. So, Father, this morning we pray for breakthrough. We pray for increase of understanding and of knowledge. We pray today, Jesus, that you would awaken truth, awaken us to the truth of your Spirit, awaken us to the excitement of the gift that we would be childlike again in receiving it. We pray this in your name. This morning we have a ministry teams that are available to, and then just to pray for you, to encourage you this morning. So that's you. Why don't you go ahead and come forward? I'd like people to see you as I'm talking. Our ministry teams, just very, very simple. Our ministry teams are called not to give you advice. They're not here to tell you their personal story. They're here to listen to you listen for you and then to pray for you about anything going on in your life. And so if there are things this morning, beyond what we've talked about, just things you really just, I mean, it's been a hard week, it's been long, it's difficult, man, you feel like everything's pressing on all, all like, I mean like, six sides here and on top and on the bottom, like you're like, can you squish like this, right? Man, we just love to pray for you about anything going on in life. We have communion available every week. It's not just a reminder of the life, death, resurrection, and ascending of God's Spirit. It is every time we take it to make it alive again that He is, He did, and He is alive. He did those things, but He is alive today to again infill and empower you for the life that He's called you to live. Communion is powerful. It's a work of grace. When we take it, he pours out grace into our lives. Every time we take communion, we should expect a fresh and a new for the love of Jesus to be poured out and for his power to flow. Offering baskets available every Sunday. Right there in the back, a little thing, a little box, they give you a kiosk. What is this? This is an expression of worship. It's an expression of worship. We made a commitment in the Rooted Initiative a couple of weeks ago, and we said, man, that's above and beyond tithes and offerings because, man, this is your weekly or whatever it is for you, expression of worship, of giving back to God what he's so faithfully given you. So I'm asking you to respond this morning in the fullness of worship.
So you respond as the Lord leads this morning. I invite you just to respond, whether it's to sit, to stand, to come to the altar, to come get prayer. For God leads you to, and I'll come back up as we close this out. Let's respond.